You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Are you expecting a nice Christmas? Getting very expectant of good things to happen? We should be expectant, shouldn't we? Yes. The only thing is that sometimes expectations can ruin our lives. Sometimes we can have too high expectations. Don't ask me why, but before I had children, I thought that, you know, having children and being a father was going to be like YouTube videos. You know, we're like in those YouTube videos, it's all kind of like, hey son, how are you? And everybody's kind of happy, it's kind of like, hey, you're going to be my little buddy, aren't you? You know, uh, watching one too too many American videos, I'm afraid, but, uh, uh, but looking at videos and you see all these kind of happy mothers and fathers and happy children, it's good that they don't have smell of vision yet. Because if you have children, you realize that the smell is the worst part. You know things are bad when you pick up your baby. When would you do it to any other living creature? That you pick up a creature and go, he needs his nappy changed. You'd never do it, would you? You know, and yet you find yourself one day you're a cool 20 something or 30 something and you've got your groove on. And the next minute you're a vomit covered, nappy changing, nervous wreck. Nobody warned me. And wait till they start getting tired and it gets even more fun. Expectations have a habit of affecting our lives in a powerful way. Because behind most of our expectations are very strong emotions and very strong desires. And woe betide you if you let somebody's expectations down. Would anybody say amen? Don't let anybody down. I just want to say good morning as well to Cafe Church. I hope you can hear me. I know you can see me and I hope you can hear me, guys. And I hope everything is going okay down there sound-wise. I want to look this morning at a passage of scripture. The title of this morning's message, if my machine here will work, is, yes it will, prayers and expectations. Sometimes we pray for things, but we don't know what to expect. Or we expect things, but we don't know what to pray for. You know, sometimes there can be something missing between our prayers and our expectations. And the way that we pray is very often informed by our expectations. There is a famous quote by a guy called Alexander Pope. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 12, by the way. We're going to look at that in a few minutes. A guy called Alexander Pope, very famous Englishman. And he said this about expectations. He said, blessed is he that expects nothing, for he shall not be disappointed. Keeping your expectations low is a great way to go through life. Barry Schwartz, who's a writer and a psychologist, wrote in his book, The Choice Paradox, a book I'd recommend to anybody who wants to understand how how the human mind works. In that book, he said, the key to a happy life is low expectations. Is low expectations. I think that when we are young and we're in our teens and 20s, even when we're young kids and 20s, maybe into our 30s, we can have very, very high expectations of life. But anybody who's over 40 here probably knows that those expectations don't always come to fruition, do they? And the good way to live the latter half of your life is to lower your expectations. Especially when it comes to things like holidays, but that's another story for another day. I want to look at Acts chapter 12 this morning. I won't stay on it too long. Uh, But just to give you the, the, the background to where we're going to be hitting here in a second. Acts chapter 12 begins with how Herod... Herod Agrippa, who was the grandson of Herod the Great from from the Jesus story, from the nativity story. Um, He is in power. 
And he has just had executed James, the brother of John, one of the early disciples and apostles. He's had him executed. And the Jews are delighted with this. The the crowd that are in Jerusalem are absolutely delighted with this. So he then decides that he's going to arrest Peter as well. And the reason he's arresting them is because they'd previously had a jailbreak and they were causing trouble. And he was a bit of a political mover and he wanted to keep people happy. So his plan was to bring Peter to trial. And so he put Peter in jail. But Peter had history, as they say. He had, previous, he had previously escaped from jail. If you read earlier in the book of Acts, Peter and a bunch of the apostles have actually escaped from jail miraculously. And so this time, Herod wasn't going to make any mistakes. This time he was going to make sure that the man he had in jail was going to stay in jail and that he was going to come to trial. It was going to be a show trial. It was going to be a kangaroo court. Peter was effectively under a death sentence. And when we catch up with him here in Acts chapter 12, here is Peter's predicament, right? This is the situation he's in. No, I want you, because this is how stories work, I want you to put yourself in the predicament in as much as you possibly can. Think about this for a second. Here is a situation. He's under a death sentence, and he's guarded by 16 Roman soldiers, four quartarians they're called, four groups of four soldiers. He's bound by two chains, and he's chained to two soldiers in his dungeon, night and day. Now, he's in jail for about 10 days, they reckon, between a week and 10 days. There are sentries outside the doors and outside the gates, and there are two sets of doors between him and an exterior iron gate with sentries at each gate as you exit this prison. So this is Peter's predicament. This is what he's stuck in. His situation isn't exactly looking cheerful and bright. And everybody knows that Peter's in there under a death sentence. Everybody knows what's going to work out from this situation. Imagine it was you. You're under a death sentence. You're locked away. You're in a maximum security jail. That's as best as you could describe it. Maximum security. This is the Alcatraz of Jerusalem is where he's locked in at the moment. He's not getting out of this one alive. But it says this, it records this in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. It says, while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very hard for him. It's interesting how hard we pray when something is really important to us, isn't it? You know, when something is really going down for us, we really pray hard. It can be hard to muster the prayer from somebody who sends you a text to say, please pray for my cat. He's going for an operation on his spleen this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of struggle to find fervor for that. I don't mean any offense to any cat lovers out there. I'm sure all cats are going to go to heaven. (laughs) But I find it hard to get fervor, but it's a different story. Please pray for my brother. He's dying or he's been in an accident and he's on the edge. That's a different story. No, you're going to pray. And the church are praying very hard for Peter because they know what the predicament is. And they know the situation that he's in. And so I want you to just go on this journey. Most of you will have read this passage before. But I want you to go on this short journey of what happens next. And then we'll get to the quiz. Okay? We'll get to the quiz at the end of it. It says this. This is the night before Peter was due to come out on trial and probably the night before he was due to be executed. This is what it records. It says, the night before Peter was able to, uh, was placed on trial, he was asleep. I wouldn't have been asleep. He was fastened with two chains between two soldiers. One stood guard at the, other stood guard at the prison gate. Then it says this, 
suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side, hey, to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. So Peter left the cell. I'm just abridging it a little bit. He left the cell following the angel. But all the, th- all the time, he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. Peter thought he was having a really nice dream of being, you know, he thought like, this is great. This is, what a great vision. God is sending me a vision to encourage me. But it was actually really happening in his life. It's a bit like one of those dreams where you dream that you've won the lottery. And you wake up in the morning and go, oh, what did I wake up for? Or the one of those bad ones where you dream that someone you love has left you. I dreamt a couple of weeks ago that my wife left me for another man. When I woke up in the morning, it was like, oh, thank goodness, that was just a dream. Oh, what a relief. See, I'm so psychologically complex, it's very hard to explain. He thought he was seeing a vision. He thought that this wasn't happening at all, that an angel had appeared to him. Now, if an angel appeared to you in your bedroom, you'd probably think that, in, you know, that you were having a dream too. He didn't realize it was actually happening. I abridge again, it goes on to say this. When Peter finally came to his senses, he said, it's really true. And when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mack, where many were gathered for prayer. He, he, he finally realizes he's standing in the middle of Jerusalem. He's not in prison anymore. And he kind of goes, ah, it's real. I'm actually out of jail. I mean, this is, just for the record, this is kind of unheard of. You know, people realize that when the Romans locked you in jail, you know, you weren't getting out on parole. You weren't going to be released some night. Somebody was going to, oh, you know, I changed my mind. Everybody knew the writing was on the wall for Peter. And is it any wonder he was surprised? But the story gets better. And this is the ring of truth about these stories. Because when they're told, they are tales of the unexpected. As, the, as our video last Sunday said, they won't be expecting that, you know. They weren't expecting this. It goes on to say this. It says, Peter knocked at the door in the gate and a servant girl called Rhoda came to open it. Now all the church are inside. Lord, Peter, Lord, have mercy on Peter. And Rhoda goes out to answer the door, okay? Now, just put yourself in it, lads. Put yourself in it. So you're all inside praying for Peter. Lord, would you just bless Peter and be with him and let him feel your presence. And the church really felt this was important. And it says this, when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, look, Peter is standing at the door. It's, it's, it's Peter. They're going, what? Peter, but we're praying. Will you stop? We're trying to pray here. Yeah, but Peter, he's at the door. We're trying to pray. Will you let me alone? You're out of your mind, they said. And when she insisted, they decided. So like, she, she keeps on saying, it's Peter, really, it's really Peter. Like, I mean, I know his voice, like, you know. I know what he sounds like, you know. I, I know it's definitely Peter who's at the door. It's definitely Peter. So they go, no, no, you're, 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 are you off your chuck? It can't be Peter. Sure, he's in jail. How can it possibly be Peter? 
She said, no, there's Peter. And they said, okay, then it, it obviously isn't Peter. It must be his angel. Because the Jews had some Jews believed that we have guardian angels. Some, some people still believe it today, that you have guardian angels. There's two explanations for it. One is that it was his angel, that his guardian angel showed up at the door and his guardian angel looked like him. I don't understand it. No theologian seems to be ex- able to explain it. Or else the explanation is that this is Peter's spirit knocking at the door. God, the ghost of Peter is at the door. No, when it's only his ghost, he must be dead. <sighs> Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. <laughs> Isn't that great? They're all inside having this big discussion. Could it be Peter? I don't know. I'm not sure. Like, I mean, could it be his angel? Well, there is a writing in the old rabbinical writings that says it could be his angel. Yeah, but I think it's more likely to be his dead spirit. And they're, they're all having this chat, a nice chat. Look, Mary, put some more coffee there. We're nearly finished. So uh, I was just thinking, you know, philosophically, it could be Peter or possibly it could be his angel. And what do you think, James? Well, I, in my opinion, or from my long history, I would say that it's very unlikely to be Peter himself because of the analysis would say that if you're in Herod's prison, you're probably not going to get out. And the, 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 the government don't let people out when they're in jail like that. And then, Meanwhile, Peter's like, hello, hello, can I, hello, the Romans are coming, hello. It's a comical situation. And then it goes on to say, when they finally open the door, it's Peter. They couldn't believe it. They were amazed. Now, here's the quiz. What were they praying for? They're having a prayer meeting for Peter who's locked in jail under a death sentence. What are they praying for? Like, Lord, let him not get indigestion. What are they praying for? I mean, what would you be praying for? What would I be praying for? Lord, let him out. But they're kind of going, how can he possibly get out? Like, it's Herod has him. And unsurprisingly, they allowed the circumstances, pretty bleak circumstances, to dictate the terms of their prayers, I suspect. And what was Peter expecting? Peter thinks it's a vision when an angel shows up. An angel shows up and it says it's... Like, this is obviously authentically Peter's own testimony of the story. He says, he struck him on the side. Can I get a man volunteer for a second? No, anyone. He tried to get up. Will you wake up? A bit like me and my teenage sons. Will you wake up? Come on. He hit him. He had to wake him up. What was Peter expecting? What was the church? what, What were they expecting? Were they expecting that their prayers for Peter would be heard? What are you expecting? What are you praying for? What are you expecting is going to happen in your circumstances? What do you think is going to happen to the loved ones you're praying for? What are you expecting? Because sometimes we think we expect too much in prayer. But if you read the Gospels and if you read what Jesus said, he was always saying, lads, you're expecting too little. Your expectations are just too low. And there's a balance in here. Because we can have ridiculous expectations or we can have right expectations of God. And sometimes we can expect that an angel is going to come and do something amazing for us when there's a whole different process going on. There was another English writer, and he was a theologian and a philosopher. 
and a Christian. His name is G.K. Chesterton. And he challenged Alexander Pope's view of expectations. And he puts a slightly different spin on blessed is he that expecteth nothing, for he shall not be disappointed. And here was the thing about this church meeting. Whatever they were praying for, it's clear that they weren't expecting Peter to escape. Whatever it was that they were praying for, they were clearly not expecting that outcome. They were probably hoping that Peter would stand the test and that he would, he would testify to the faith and testify to Jesus all the way to the end. Remember again, Peter had previous, he, had, he denied Jesus before. It's clear that whatever they were expecting, this wasn't part of their expectations. But God was at work. And in your life, and in your situation, and for your prayers, God is at work. Here's what G.K. Chesterton said in his spin on low expectations. He said, blessed is he that expects nothing, for he shall be gloriously surprised. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful when the Lord gloriously surprises us? Amen. Has anybody here ever been surprised by what God has done? Put your hand up. About three years ago, in December, um, we were, you know, cruising towards Christmas, as you do, in, you know. And uh, let's just say things were tight, financially things were tight at home. Uh, I would say that they weren't that tight. They were really tight a few years ago at home. And, um, and I was saying, Lord, you know, it's, it's just, we just trust in God as our provider. We've always done and said, look, if, if we've got very little, then that's fine. We'll work with that. That's, that's, that's good. And me and Elma, my wife, in case you don't know Elma, we're having this conversation and we're saying, look, well, things are tight, but look, we're, we're just going to have to make do. And maybe we're just going to have to dampen down some of the expectations of our kids. And you know how joyous an experience that is for every parent. No, son, you're getting a box of soldiers for Christmas and you'll be happy. But I wanted a motorbike. No, you're getting a box of soldiers or a scooter if you'd like that you know so we, we, we were we were just you know hoping and trusting God but at the same time you know the way something goes around in the back of your head you know you carry something in the back of your head and you're going around and you know things are tight and you know it was we were in, we were in a bit of a pinch and um next thing one evening I'm at home uh, I can't remember even what I was doing I wasn't even I wasn't much I was in I was in the kitchen I was listening to radio and I was like you know peeling spuds or doing something you know very domestic like that because I'm such a good father um but next thing my phone rang and this is guy is on the phone. And I said, hi, how are you? And I, I knew him. Um, and I said, how are you? How's it going? And he said, he asked me the thing that you're never supposed to give information about. He said to me, could you send me your IBAN and BIC Swift bank code number? And I said, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a nice one. <laughs> yeah, you can have it, but there's nothing in it. You're grand. You're okay. You know, they say you should never give those details to anyone on the phone. Never accept a text. Our bank will never text you asking. So here's this person that I know asking me. And I said, and I said as you would say, what do you want that for? And he said, God has put something on my heart for you. And I want to send you something. So I'm thinking, praise the Lord. No money saying, lads, this is not Michael's a great guy. Or I'm just telling you a little story from my own experience. And so I said, you know, I said, Elmer, you wouldn't believe it. I got a call. This person asked me for their, he said, wow, that's fantastic. And, and I said, Jeannie, I, 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 you know, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. So she said, well, you know, it's great. It means we'll be able to do this, that, or the other thing. And okay, well, I wonder what's going to happen. So the guy messages me a little bit later and says, keep an eye out in your account over the next couple of days. So I did check out my account approximately every six minutes between then and 48 hours later. 
So I did keep an eye on, as you do on, on, on the apps, I kept an eye on the account. And then one, an evening, about three days later, Elma was downstairs when she heard a thump up in the bedroom. I had just checked <laughs> the bank balance. And the phone had fallen out of my hands when I saw it. So this person, who owed me nothing, had sent me 4,000 euros cash. Four grand for that. They said, God put something in my heart. And they said, if the Lord ever puts anything on your heart again, don't hesitate to contact me. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that to say that happens to everyone. And it hasn't often happened to me. But you know, I was expecting... For, I was expecting nothing before his call. After he called, I expected you know, 100 quid, 200 quid, I don't know. 4,000 euros. I nearly keeled over. And then I rejoiced. <laughs> so God, my expectations were too low. Some, so blessed are those who expects nothing for he should be gloriously surprised. I was gloriously surprised by that. God will gloriously surprise you too. Would anybody say Amen. Do you have faith? What are you expecting God to do? That's just an example of a material provision. Maybe not a good one. Maybe it's a slightly annoying one. You see, what seems to us impossible is possible with God. What we seem to be unable to do, God is able to do on our behalf. Amen? I love this passage in, in, in Isaiah. It says this. It says, this is what the Lord says. I will go before you. I will smash down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. God brings deliverance. Maybe you're behind the gates of bronze and the bars of iron this morning. Maybe someone you love is behind the gates of bronze and the bars of iron today. Maybe. Maybe God is going to break those bars. Break down those doors. Set you or set that one that you love free. Do you think it's possible? Do you think if he did it for Peter, he can do it for you? Sam also reports, he broke down their prison gates of bronze. He cuts through their bars of iron. But, there's a small but at it, okay? There's a small little but in the end. And the but is this. If you, if you have this, if you have the slide show up in Cafe Church, you might just throw up the picture of the gears. And it'll make sense. You'll see a picture of a bunch of gears interspersed with each other. Like, you'll have a look at that. This is a set of gears or a set of cogs operating a machine. Now, for most of our lives, believe it or not, there is a process going on in our lives. And we don't always see the process that's going on in our lives. We don't realize that there's a lot happening between when we pray or when the need arises and when we get a response or when the need is met because God always meets our needs. Amen? And you see, if this was your life, and I'm now, sorry guys, I'm just going to jump, well, I won't jump off the stage, I better say, because they gave out to me, don't cafe church for jumping off the stage. Sorry, I won't jump off the stage. Um, if this is your life, if you look at the cog over on the far right, I hope you have the picture up, otherwise I could be standing on this, ah, look, at he's got a button press, look at this. See this cog over here? See, this cog here turns this cog here. This cog here turns this, this, and this, which in turn turn this and this, and imagine your life is this. Now, there's no relationship between this and this that you can see. If you will, this is, your, this is your need and this is the response. And yet all of these other cogs have to turn to turn this cog in your life. Do you know what I'm saying? So all of the things that had to happen, Peter's deliverance was an incredibly almost instantaneous one. It happened in a very short space. However, the church had been praying for a week for him at that stage. Now do you think God heard their first prayer? Do you think he hears your first prayer? 
Do you think he hears your first prayer for your needs? In fact, Jesus said, he says, you don't even need to pray about these things because your Father in heaven knows what you need even before you ask. He's already at work. And this is, if you will, an illustration of the work of God in your life, that there are cogs turning. When God saw my need in that particular situation, it was a material need, the cogs began to turn, and the Lord begins to turn this cog, which turns this cog. He gets somebody to buy something from the person who rang me, who means that they made a profit, and they were able to make a living, they were able to pass it on through the bank, came through the bank, and finally it gets down to me. And there's a process that happens in our And if you look at the lives of Christian believers and you look at the lives of Old Testament Jewish believers, you will see that very often there's a long way between the arrival of the need and the result of their prayers. This is the word. Meanwhile, at 20 past four last Thursday morning, I woke up and this word was in my head. And everything I thought about for the next couple of hours I really felt God speak to me and show me simply the word meanwhile. And the word meanwhile shows up several times in the Bible in several situations. And the word meanwhile means what happens between one time and another time. What happens between the prayer and the answer. And we don't see what happens meanwhile. Meanwhile God is at work. And if you go back, for instance, to the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, just very briefly, he's a prisoner. He's been forgotten. He's abandoned in jail. For 14 years, he's in jail, completely forgotten. Meanwhile, God gives Pharaoh of Egypt a bad dream. And when he gets the bad dream, that dream is mentioned in court. And then Pharaoh's cupbearer goes, hang on a second, I know a guy who... who's able to answer visions and dreams. His name is Joseph. He's in the prison. Joseph, all of this time, is oblivious. He doesn't know what's happening, but his deliverance, not only his deliverance, but his exaltation to the position of prime minister of Egypt, from prisoner to prime minister, is about to happen, and he's completely oblivious of the wheels that are turning in his life. You, brothers and sisters, me, we are so often oblivious of what God is doing. And then suddenly, he surprises us. Have you ever noticed that things never seem to quite work the way that we thought they would work out? Have you ever noticed that an answer to prayer is never quite the way that we would have thought that it would be answered? Have you ever noticed that? This word, meanwhile, in my opinion, I believe God put it on my heart as a prophetic word to some here to give you hope. While you look at your situation and you pray to God for the answer, for your needs. Meanwhile, God is at work. Have you got faith to accept a little bit of meanwhile? The next time you get on a plane and you fly out to Spain and it doesn't rain on the plane, like start freestyling. Next time you're on the plane, you know you get on the plane. And you sit on the plane and you're flying out to Spain. It's just, it's happening, sorry. Just, so you get on the Spain to get away from the rain. You want to go to the plane. And you get on the plane to get to the plane where there is no rain in Spain. And when you're there, and when you're flying on this plane, you're sitting on the plane. And you're, you could be reading one of the dopey magazines. Don't ever read the dopey magazines. Read a book that you brought, something deep. So you're sitting there on the plane and you're reading this. You're listening to your music on your phone or your iPod. Or maybe there is one, maybe you're on one of these really cool long distance planes that has kind of cinemas. And you're watching the movie and this kind of stuff. And you're flying around and you're going, 
going, oh, this is great. This is very easy. Little do you know that there is a whole mechanism. We switch off to it. There's a whole mechanism. There's a pilot who's radioing back and forth. Oh, Heathrow, we're on our way. And they're, they're, they're having this conversation with air traffic control. And air traffic says, you need to get a little bit higher there. You know, get up to 27,000 feet and uh, begin to descend. And we're all singing, oh, this is great. The movie's, the movie is great on the telly. And meanwhile, the air traffic controller is having a nervous breakdown because you're playing, you're dropping too low, you're dropping too low, they're dropping too low. And now that happens first is we just see the light go on for the seatbelts. It goes, bing. And you think to yourself, we're 50,000 feet up. Why do I need to put on a seatbelt? That's all we see. All the time, all of these things happen. A pilot, a co-pilot, crew, ground crew, engineers, plane physicists, whatever they're called, air traffic controllers are all conspiring to get you to your destination safely. Do you see my illustration? Do you see where I'm going with that? You don't see all the stuff that's going on for you. You don't see the wheels that are being turned. You don't see, hallelujah, the Holy Spirit, the air traffic controller par excellence guiding you safely to God's destination. I love when John says this to the early Christians. Oh, did John say this? This is what John said. He said, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. Confidence. That if we ask anything according to his will, what does he do? He hears us. He hears us if we ask according to his will. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Amen. Well, it, 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 only Tom thinks that's an amener. Amen. amen. If, we did, if you ask anything according to his will, now let me ask you. Is it God's will to provide for his people? Is it God's will to heal his people most of the time? Yeah. Is it God's will to provide you with a home? A job? Is it God's will to provide you with a wife or a husband? Yeah, I would say for 98% of you, yes it is, okay? One or two of you need to buy some soap and some toothpaste and we can move it on from there. Lord, increase our faith. No, increase your deodorant. But we know this. God has guaranteed that he will do these things for us. And so we have confidence, which means when we pray, our expectations can rise. Would anybody say amen? And it's good to have good expectations of our good, good father. Amen? Amen? Maybe the band will come up. We're going to do good, good father as our, as our, as our close out here, just as we're closing up this morning. We're going to pray in a second. But before we pray, I want to ask you some very simple questions. Simple questions that I would have asked the church at Acts, and I would have asked the, the Peter as he was lying in prison. Here's the question simply. Oops. No, no. You might go back to the slideshow for me, please, Diana. You just took my moment. It was perfect. It was all lined up. It was always like, here we go. And everybody was, what are you praying for? What are you praying for?